And so, Father, please hear us, Lord. And, um, and we know, Lord, that you desire <clears throat> more than we do, Lord, good things for us. And so we just pray, Father, that this morning would be fruitful for your purposes. Uh, help us, Lord, we pray. Give us a sensitive ear. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Good morning, guys. Okay, we are this morning, morning, Rob. We're in uh, Mark chapter 1, and um, following, following the life of Jesus in chronological order, not looking at every little detail, but um, those that are the most fitting for our, our purpose, which is that we might be followers of Christ. We're in verse 21, and I'm going to read all the way through um, verse 34, <clears throat> before I begin talking. So um, it says, And they came into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and he taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him, and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And forthwith, or right away, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. They told him she was sick. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them, or served them. And at even, or evening, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils, and all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases, and cast out many devils, or demons, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. So our intent as we continue to follow Jesus uh, kind of through his ministry is not so much that we would um, gain facts and, and be able to, in our minds, be able to say, well, we know the order in which Jesus did things and we now understand what he did. That, that really is not the point. The point of what we're doing is that we might have an example um, one of the main reasons why God became a man, not, not just to redeem us, but also to give us an example of what life is intended to be uh, and what it, what it is to look like. And so as we follow Christ in this context of looking at what the Bible says, our main objective is that we might be like him, that we might learn from him uh, what life is and what it is supposed to look like. Now, at this point, in, in Jesus' ministry, we are in the first weeks or months 
uh, of it, of three and a half years that will be total. This is just the very beginning here. And at this time, um, we've seen that there are many people that are following Jesus, but there at this point is only four that have been called by him to follow full time. Uh, Matthew, I'm sorry, uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John. Those are the only ones as of yet that Jesus has called and said, I want you to leave what you're doing and you're, you're going to follow me. Uh, and, and for them, there is a greater purpose. And so very shortly after calling them, which is the passage that we looked at last week, where he said, leave your, uh, leave your business and come. Um, now we have this passage. And, and what this passage basically uh, gives to us is a day in the life of Jesus. I mean, that's what it is. It starts um, in, a, in a Capernaum synagogue, uh, and then it goes through all the way until the setting of the sun in that day, and it takes us step by step through the things that Jesus did throughout that day. Now, uh, we could look at it that way, and we could say, okay, this is a day in the life of Jesus. And what that does is gives us a historical sketch. But I think that the Spirit's intent behind putting this passage before us this way and showing us a day in the life of Jesus is more so that we might for ourselves understand kind of an example of a day in the life of a Spirit-filled man. Because that's what Jesus was. He was the Son of Man, filled with the Spirit of God, setting an example for us. And so as we look at the day in the life of a Spirit-filled man and lay it over our days and our experience... What do we see? What, what are the similarities or what should maybe a day of ours uh, or could a day of ours look like in the context of our own um, situation? I mean, obviously, we're not a rabbi from Galilee. And so, you know, we're probably not going to teach in a synagogue and then move, uh, <laughs> you know, to Peter's house and, and so on and so forth. But we do have our day. And the Bible says that our days are ordained of God. And should our day be led in the same way that Jesus was led, then what would that mean for us? So it tells us there at the very beginning of the day that Jesus began by teaching uh, in the synagogue in Capernaum. And again, Capernaum is that place where his ministry was really headquartered, at least uh, whenever he was in the northern part of the country, it was out of Capernaum that he was. And so in that synagogue there, he would become a well-known figure and, and even by a few days from now, every time Jesus will come into Capernaum, the multitudes will be uh, just incredibly <clears throat> present because of it. And we're, we're told that he taught them there. And we see that frequently with Jesus, that he was one that would teach, and, uh, and almost always associated with that word teach is the word word, that he would teach them uh, the word of God. And it tells us that he taught them that the way that he thought, taught was with authority. And that was, that's highlighted here because it's contrasted with the type of teaching that the Jews were used to in those days. What they were used to hearing was the teaching of the scribes. And the teaching of the scribes was very simply a theological uh, resurgence or, or regurgitating of that which they had heard from other places. And so there were uh, rabbis or prophets that had, um, you know, set things forward and the scribes were experts at dissecting those things and just putting it out in a different way. Uh, and, and there was, in a sense, a, a, a very predictable um, idea of what was going to be heard when the scribes would teach. But when Jesus taught, it carried a completely different uh, spirit. It was from a different realm. There was something there where the people would listen to what Jesus would say, and they would say that he teaches with authority. 
And, and the difference with, between authority and just knowledge is that authority is power that's imparted from another source. And, and they sense that, that when Jesus would speak, it was coming from somewhere else. That the understanding and the application and the way that he would look into a text was, it went maybe not deeper. It wasn't as though it was more profound or that there was, uh, you know, a secret knowledge or a hidden wisdom that they had never heard. But there was just a sensing that as he spoke, that the words that he was saying, um, they penetrated deeper. They went past the mind and they reached deep into the heart. And there was an an effect within them that that could change the life beyond uh, just what a regular teaching could do. In Luke's gospel, it talks about their response, and it's kind of, I think, the parallel passage to this, Luke's account of the same thing, and it says that they, they marveled at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. And it had nothing to do with the content of what he was saying, but there was something about the way that he said it that, that caused the words to go beyond just the natural realm and into the realm of the supernatural. And the result of this teaching with authority is it tells us here that they were astonished. That he had done no miracle as of yet. That this is before any demon comes out or any healing is done. But just very simply at the word that was spoken by Jesus, there was an astonishment in the heart. They were shocked. They were set at ease. There was a stillness and and almost a jaw-dropped attentiveness to the things that he was saying just based upon the words that were coming out of his mouth. And so Jesus gives them this teaching and he leaves them awestruck at just the very things that he said. Now, that same day, during that same service, there happened to be sitting in that audience a man who had a demon. And we don't know what that looked like or how that was manifested prior to Jesus addressing it. But we're told that Jesus uh, now um, hears this man come forth and, and, and Jesus discerning that he's filled with some, some form of unclean spirit. Jesus casts out the demon and he does it in a way that all the people that are there have a perfect understanding of what's been done. That a demon has just been cast out of this man. And again, it tells us that the result of that, in verse 27, it says that they were all amazed in so much that they questioned, saying, what new thing is this, or new doctrine, or this authority that not just teaches, but also commands uh, even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. So this is a day of double amazement for the people that are there in the synagogue that day. It isn't just that they hear a great teaching, which if we come to church and hear a great teaching, that's a, that, that's a win for us. It was good today. I'm happy. I heard a good teaching. But here, not only do they hear a good teaching, but they also see something of a life being changed, and that's something that they probably never had seen before, and, and not in the way or with the weight that, that it carries. And so we see Jesus astonishing them through his teaching, and then through his touching of this uh, life and causing it to be changed. And then Jesus leaves from there, and he uh, evidently goes to lunch at Peter's house. And I remember we went to Israel back in, um, I think it was 2006 or 2007, and I was able to go just with Georgia and myself, and uh, and it was such a blessed time. The only regret, and I guess it's not really a regret, it's just kind of it just is what it is but I was so burned out at that stage of my life uh, from all the different things that were going on that it took like five of the ten days that we were there for me to wake up 
and even realize that where I was, you know, and I think I missed a lot, you know, but one of the things that I do remember about that trip is when we went into Capernaum, we sat in this very synagogue where this took place, uh, and to sit, sit on the ledge and, and to, to be able to look around at the remains and the foundation and the half walls that were left and all, and just to kind of imagine what it would be to sit in this scene. But then to leave that synagogue, it's really only probably from about here uh, to that building that you can see out those windows behind, to the place where they believe Peter's house was, uh, in relation to that synagogue there in, in the town of Capernaum. And so they would leave after that day, and Peter now with Andrew, they go to the house that was Simon Peter's, and there they share a meal. So much like we do after uh, church on any given Sunday, oftentimes we fellowship, we'll go to someone's house, or we'll meet up with family. Jesus is invited to Peter's house, and Jesus accepts the invitation. But when he gets there, he realizes or hears word that Peter's mother-in-law, maybe Peter liked her, maybe he didn't. Maybe Peter was glad she was sick, maybe he wasn't. And that's why Jesus had to find out kind of almost through the grapevine, like it says, uh, you know, that that he he heard about it, (laughs) you know, kind of uh, didn't know about it any earlier. And so Jesus goes into the room where she is. And the idea here is that this is one of those debilitating fevers. Now, um, I know most of us in here are married, and I've, I've come to observe in my um, <clears throat> adult life that uh, our wives are very um, much more uh, um, fit to handle a sickness than we are. <laughs> when I get sick, just I don't just leave me alone, and and I I will be back when I'm better. You know, I just I'm going in the room, and I don't care if the kids die or if we don't eat or if the house falls apart. The women aren't that way. I mean, they will they will work until they can't work. And for a woman, most times, especially this type of woman in this society, to be laid up in bed like this, this is probably a severe uh, type of fever that she's having. And it tells us that Jesus goes in and he takes her by the hand. And it isn't just that at this point that Jesus prays for her, touches her, that the fever breaks and she begins to recover. But the contrast is so stark and the effect is so immediate that as soon as hand touches hand, she arises from the bed to a point where she's so fully energized that she kind of picks up right where she would have left off or would be had she not been sick at all. It says that she ministered unto them. So she got busy uh, making the lunch. That's pretty smart of Jesus. And I wish I had this skill that I could come home from church, touch my wife, and she would just start making lunch, you know. (laughs) It shows that I'm not as spirit-filled as maybe I could be or should be, you know. (laughs) Jesus help me, (laughs) you know. But Jesus here, he does, he does this thing, and he, it's, a, it's a notable miracle. It's recorded in more than one gospel of just Jesus healing um, uh, Peter's wife's mother uh, in, in the midst of this, and she begins to heal him. And then we're told that after this event, that when the evening came and the sun did set, they brought to him all that were diseased and those that were possessed with devils. Now, We already know that this is a Sabbath day because there's been a synagogue service. Uh, It actually um, tells us uh, uh, that it was a Sabbath, if you look back at verse 21. And so during the Sabbath day, they weren't allowed to just move about freely. They were very restricted in, in what they would uh, do and how far they would travel. Um, there were, there were you know, traditions and laws that they, would, they had established that you weren't allowed to walk more than 100 steps uh, during a Sabbath. That's not biblical, but it was just something that they had imposed through their legalistic uh, uh, mind frames and whatnot. And so you wouldn't have people moving around 
around during the day. So when the sun did set, which would mark the end of the Sabbath day, now all of a sudden word has come that a demon has been cast out during the church service, that a fever has been rebuked during the lunch uh, fellowship meal afterwards, and everyone with any type of infirmity or disease or sickness now has hope that their condition can be bettered, and multitudes in this same day are now brought to the house uh, where Peter and uh, Andrew and Jesus and the rest of them uh, are all there. And it tells us in verse 33 that all the city was gathered together at the door. And so you can imagine uh, the, the type of, of um, event this must have been. And if you put it into our own world on a Sunday night, when everybody else is usually at home, they're getting ready for a new work week, the rest is over, the weekend is complete, and now we're going back into the grind of things. But for these people, this is so impacting and such such a buzz, there's so much life in it, that the whole city leaves their house, no matter what's going on, and they come to the place because just to catch a glimpse or to hear a word or to be healed or touched in the whole thing. And it says that everyone that came to be healed, that they were healed. And everyone that had unclean spirits, those unclean spirits were cast out uh, and all the rest. Now, I look at this day in the life of Jesus that began and then moved through, and then finished the way that it did. And I look at it, and I say, that's a pretty good day. And I imagine that, that when Jesus, for that night, put his head down, whenever that was, at whatever hour that was, uh, he could look over the course of that day, and he could say, this was a very good day. <laughs> it was an effective day, and uh, it was beyond what I could have expected. It was beyond what I could have hoped for, uh, and, and, and there's been much fruit, a very fruitfulness that come, uh, comes from that. So what's the secret of a day like that? How is it that Jesus was able um, to have it? And I believe that the answer to that question is given to us in the verses that follow immediately after the end of that passage. Notice what it says in verse 35. It says that in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. So they come along a little bit later. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, for therefore am I come. And then, of course, he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, and he cast out devils. The secret of Jesus' effectiveness was the fact that when he started each day, he started it with his father. That he started it in a time a great while before the dawn, uh, and, and he spent that time with him. Now, we get the idea from not only reading the Gospels, but also from a passage that I'm going to turn you to in Isaiah in a moment, that this wasn't just this day, that Jesus thought, well, okay, no devotions yesterday, but today I will. But that this was the, this was the way that Jesus operated while he was on this earth, that each morning he began his day as early as he could, Spending time with his father. There are many moments um, when I consider the, the life of Jesus and his ministry here on earth, many moments that I wish I could be a fly on the wall. Or if I could like, somehow just kind of watch the YouTube replay uh, of some of the things that Jesus did. Um, I, I have a top five, you know, and, and I think um, I, I don't want to put these in any particular order, but I would have loved to have seen the Mount of Transfiguration. 
you know, where Jesus was kind of up there and all of a sudden he's, he's pierced through with this uh, light that's brighter than the sun and, and the glory that was in him is kind of manifested to Peter and Andrew or Peter, James, and John that were up there. I would have loved to have seen that moment. That, that would be definitely one of them. Another one would be when uh, Jesus was with the woman that was caught in the act of adultery and he said, that as, the, as the Pharisees wanted to stone her to death, and he just said the words, he, who, whoever's without sin or the same sin among you, you throw the first stone. And I would have loved to have seen that moment when each of them dropped their rocks. These hostile, religious, zealots, self-righteous men that were about to kill someone and realized, convicted of their own sin. And to just see the authority that Jesus would carry and softly saying, you, whoever's without sin, you throw the first one. And to watch them drop their rocks, I'd love to see that. Another one would be that scene that we uh, looked at a couple weeks ago where the woman, the Samaritan woman who had five uh, different husbands and was now just sleeping with whoever she wanted, uh, at the moment when Jesus said, I, I am the Christ, and it says that she dropped her water pot and she ran back into the city to tell uh, the men who he was. And I, I, that's one of the moments. I'd love to see, I want to I see the facial expression. I want to know what that looked like at a moment when that life was changed because of a word. That's, that's a, a one I want to see. Uh, another one, uh, and this is a big one, this might even be number one, uh, is the road to Emmaus. At the end of Luke's gospel, when Jesus is walking with two disciples and they don't know it's Jesus because he's kind of um, disguised himself, and he begins for eight hours to expound to them all the things in the Old Testament that spoke of Christ's coming. I want to hear that Bible study. <laughs> and that would definitely be one of, uh, one, one of the times that I'd be... Now, there, there's other ones that I could care less about, like walking on water. I don't need to see it. I've seen enough crazy stuff on YouTube, um, <laughs> other stuff, that I think I'd see that, and I'd be like, okay, he walked on water. I believe that he walked on water. I don't have a problem with that. You know, The loaves and the fishes, I don't need to see it. These things I want to see. And listen... This one I want to see. If I could pick, if in my top three, maybe in my top two, this passage right here where Jesus rose up a great while before the day, I want to be there for that. And the reason why I want to be there for that is not because I want to see that he did it. I have no problem with that. And not because there's any miracle that's associated with it. But what I want to know is what did that time look like? What took place between heaven and earth in that hour or those hours that were before the daytime that caused Jesus to be who he was and to do what he did in order that he might have the kind of days that he had, that he might have the kind of life that he lived and exemplified for us? Because I understand the importance of the morning time. My problem is I don't know how to have a morning time. <laughs> and maybe you can relate to that because you, you yourself have sought those times. And, you know, there's times when maybe it works and times that maybe it doesn't. An interesting thing to me is that of all that Jesus ever did and of all that was ever witnessed by those that followed Jesus, the miracles, the raising of the dead, the cleansing of lepers, the changing of lives, the preaching of sermons, all that Jesus ever did, there's only one thing that the disciples ever asked Jesus how to do. They never said, how do you preach? How do you heal? How do you cast? Never asked him any of that. But what they did ask him twice was teach us to pray. And the reason for that is because they knew that everything that Jesus did and everything that Jesus was was a result of his relationship and his closeness with the Father, that everything else came from that. And that's why they asked that, because they knew it. 
And so as we see Jesus in this moment now, arising a great while before the dawn, is there anything in this passage that can help us to understand for ourselves how it is that we can have an effective time of, uh, of meeting with God. I don't even want to use the word devotions because now it becomes a thing uh, and not a, an interaction or a relationship. But is there something that we can learn about our own time relating with the Father and the moments um, that, that he would desire to meet with us each day that we can uh, learn? What can we learn from it? Not just that we should do it, but how do we do it? And so a couple things um, just, just for us to consider, things you might want to uh, write down. And, and the first one doesn't even come from the text, but it, it needs to be said. And, and that is this, is that our time, or the time that God desires to spend with us one-on-one, that we would call a devotion time or uh, a time where we meet with God uh, each day, that this is the thing that God is most interested in in our lives. Not the duty, but the time. It isn't as though God has a checklist like we do with our kids oftentimes. Did you clean your room? Did you make your bed? Did you brush your teeth? You know, like that kind of stuff. And God's going, did you have devotions? Did you read your chapter? Did you give me 15 minutes of speech? You know, that's not the idea. It isn't the duty that God is interested in. But what he is interested in is the time. He didn't save us for service. God didn't die on a cross and then call us to himself so that he could have someone cut his grass at the church. Or even to have someone preached to or have someone healed. That's not what, what he saved you for. He didn't save you so that you could do things for him. I find it interesting that when Jesus was baptized, remember at the Jordan River and it says that the heaven was open and the spirit descended upon him like a dove? It tells us that there was a voice that came from heaven. And you know what the voice said? The voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It didn't say this is my beloved servant who will do great things for me. See, the the value that we have in God's eyes is not our service, but our sonship. He died on a cross so that we would relate to him. And relationship requires fellowship, interaction, intimacy. And that's what God is interested in for our lives more than anyone else. And his desire for us is that we would know him and that we would know his constant presence with us. And, and the devotion time or the time that we spend with God where it's just us and God and there's no other distraction or no other voice or nothing else going on, that's the place where God is experienced the closest and recognized the most within our lives. And so this is the thing that God is most interested in in our lives is the time that we spend uh, with him. The second thing, and this we do gain from the passage, is notice that it took place very early in the morning. It says that it was a great while uh, before the dawn. Now, there are no rules about when we meet with God. Or even necessarily about how we meet with God. And I think that's probably the reason why it doesn't tell us what Jesus said said to the Father or what the Father said to the Son or, or how this all went down in this interaction. But on just a plain, practical uh, level, the best and obvious time to meet with God is first thing in the day before anything else of that day has a chance to grab our attention or to get us going uh, into kind of a whirlpool that there's no way to slow down or stop or uh, or take a break from. Um, If we take and say, well, I'm going to do it at lunchtime or I'm going to have my devotion time at dinnertime or my devotion time after dinner or before I go to bed, that's all fine. God doesn't say I'm not going to meet with you in those times. But the problem with that 
is that a good chunk or portion of the day has already passed. And we miss an opportunity to settle our hearts before God before any of that took place and to just say, God, what do you want to do with this day? Or God, how can you take over in this day to make it work the way it's supposed to work so that I don't live uh, the, the most of it in frustration? I know that for me, once the day begins, there's too many other voices and too many other things that are vying for my attention and, and my hearing and my thought life for me to be able to really zero in and just listen to God or, or to spend uh, valuable time. Once I'm in the car, there's way too much going on in the car for me to listen the way I need to listen to hear, you know, the, the quietness of his voice and what he would have to say. Once my daily energy hits me in full and I have enough daylight and, and I can make noise, <laughs> you know, that's it. I, it's too hard for me at that point uh, to, to give God the kind of space that he wants within my life to have all of me. I don't know if you're like me, but I have two scenarios that can take place, uh, and both of them include a day that's way too busy for human reason. And I don't know if you have those days, but I do. <laughs> you know, where you have, a, and here's what happens on a day like that: is that I wake up in the morning, and I'm immediately uh, confronted with all that I have to do that day. You know, all the places I need to be, the meetings, uh, the schedule, the timing, um, the, the coordinating in order to make all the various uh, um, uh, com- compartments of my life um, harmonize with each other so that kids can get rides to places and my wife doesn't go insane. And, you know, and, and so all that uh, is right there. And so what I'll do is, is I'll think, well, I don't really have the kind of time this morning to spend with God uh, that I'd like to. So that's where I'm going to chintz. And I'm going to cut my devotion time either in half or out altogether. And, or I'll do it in the car. You know, I'll put it in some other thing. Because I'm, I'm thinking that by doing that, I'm making more room in my schedule. I'm creating margins uh, in my time by cutting out the God part of my day. But then what happens is the day turns sideways real quick. and things don't go the way they're supposed to or it snows four inches on the first day of spring and you can't get out of your driveway you know and uh the way that all kinds of things just begin to happen in the day just just goes flop and and by the time you get halfway through that day you feel like you want to pull the hair out of your head and you think why am i living this kind of life now same scenario same day same schedule everything else but you say you know what i need to spend the time i i need to sit with god I need to listen. I need to pray. I need to, to put, to, no matter what. And if it takes an hour, it takes an hour. If it causes a delay in something else, but, but, or if I have to get up and I have to sacrifice sleep. And I have the same day, but isn't it amazing? I don't know if you found this. But that day, for some reason, when you lay your head on the pillow at the end of that night, you, you forgot that it was even going to be a stressful day. And you got not only everything that you were going to get done, but there's so many other things that happened in the course of that day. And see, that that's the difference that it can make for us to spend uh, the time with him. And so I find that the morning time, whatever the cost, that's the best time to meet with God. Even the evening for me, after everything settles down. You know what happens when I open uh, my Bible or settle my heart in the evening? You know what happens? <laughs> I rest in Jesus. <laughs> because because it's, it's, we live in a fast-paced life. And I'm glad for that. I, I've been in other parts of the world. I've been in other parts of the country that, where things just at a crawl. You know, and you live in the northeast of the United States of America, and we were. I mean, this, this, and I like that. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. 
But what it means is that I have to go the extra mile if I want to spend that time. And if I want to have an effect in the life that I'm living and not just pass the time of the life I'm living, then I need to be in relationship with the Father. The third thing that we notice uh, about Jesus' time that he spent with the Father is that it absolutely um, involved prayer. Because it tells us there that he, uh, right there in... um, it's in um, verse 35 that he departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And I know that for many um, Christians, that concept is a stumbling block. You know, prayer is a very foreign, it seems like a very unnatural, it seems, uh, you know, almost um, scary to a lot of, of even Christians, the idea uh, of just talking to God, you know, and um, that feeling like, okay, well, I'm just talking, but is anyone even listening? Am, am I just talking to myself? Because like, sometimes it feels like I'm just talking in a room, but is there anyone uh, actually listening? And we think, well, how do you pray? Or, or if I'm going to pray, what do I pray for? And we get ourselves into all kind of gymnastics about prayer and what prayer looks like and what it's supposed to do. And, and we almost become like uh, the caterpillar, you know, the, the story story of um, there was a caterpillar and one day he was standing there and, and, um, and he was just waiting and the ladybug crawled up and, and said, wow, you got a lot of legs. And he said, which one do you move first? And the caterpillar thought about it for a minute. He didn't know. And so he thought, wait, do I? And he couldn't walk because he couldn't realize which leg he was supposed to move first. And, you know, he said, wait, if I, well, if I move the front one, and, 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 you know, and he just got himself so confused trying to figure out which leg that he forgot how to walk. But then the sun rose, and he wanted to walk towards the sun, and he just did it. And I think that prayer sometimes that we get in the same thing. Well, how do, I, how do I approach God? What's the first thing that I say? Can I really just come boldly into his presence? Do I have to repent first? I mean, do I even know all the things that I need to repent for? That list is so long. I don't even know if I can, if I can do it. But if I don't repent before I talk to God, will he hear me? Because he says, his ears won't hear if, I, you know, if there's sin. So now, and I haven't prayed for four days. So the things I was supposed to pray about four days ago are still backlogged. So I certainly can't bring up the things that I have to pray for today until I cover the things. And I told this person I'd pray for them and I didn't. And so if I prayed for myself before I prayed for them, do you ever do that? Or is that just me? (laughs) And you can almost get yourself into a place where prayer becomes so confusing. You just say, well, you know what, God, you just know. (laughs) And then we don't pray. In Romans chapter 5, and it's it's probably one of the most valuable chapters in, in all the New Testament, The Apostle Paul in that chapter, and don't worry, I'm not going to change studies and start a new one here. But what he does is he highlights the benefits that we have as sons of God. And he says, these are things that we have. You're adopted, and so these are your rights, so to speak. And the first one on that list is that we have peace with God. That means that the accounts are settled. That right now, Because you're a son of God, because you're born again, and because Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sins, you are at peace with God. He's not looking at you with a list saying, these are the things I need you to get right before we can be right. Now, there might be things in your life that need to get right right now, but you have peace with God because of Christ. Okay, that's where we start. Then the second thing, and this is the thing, listen, he says, we also have access to God by grace. In other words, we can come to God as his sons whenever and however we want to. And the call upon our lives is that we exercise that access. That's prayer. 
And what that means is that if you wake up in the morning and the first words out of your mouth are, God, I need help today, or, and, and, you know, whatever it is, just do it. That's the point. Don't worry about how am I going to approach or what do I say first or can I, can I supplicate before I intercede? Can I, you know, don't just pray. And the only way to develop a prayer life is through prayer. It isn't reading books on prayer. It's not analyzing it. It's not, okay, adoration, acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Okay, ACTS. You know, or praying through the temple. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Okay, now to the altar where I'm going to repent and confess of my sins. And now to the lampstand where I'm going to receive direction for the day. And I mean, there's all these different things that we try to do to try to, to, to work. Listen, just talk to God. That's it. Just begin. And then what happens is, 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 as you do it, the Spirit, the Bible says, the Spirit helps us when we don't know how to pray as we ought. And as we just begin, God, be, almost like starting a motor. You start it, the battery starts the car, you turn the key, but then there's a process wherein it just runs. And that's the way prayer begins to work uh, as we just pray in the thing. And so we have access. And so uh, a time with God will absolutely involve prayer. The fourth thing um, that we learn about a, 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 a profitable um, devotion time that we spend with the Lord uh, for absolute certain is that it's going to involve listening. That it's not just going to be our speaking, but it's going to involve our listening. And the reason we know that that's the case, I asked you to turn to Isaiah chapter 50. And there's a little passage here. <clears throat> that gives us some insight into what was happening during Jesus' hour of prayer, or time, I don't want to say hour, but the time that he spent with the Father um, that morning. In verse 4 of chapter 50, it says this. It says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. Now here's how we know it's speaking of Jesus. Verse 6. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded, therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. So this is a prophetic foretelling of the life and ministry of Christ. And notice what it says in verse 4. It says that he wakens me morning by morning, he wakens my ear to hear as the learned, and it says that the Lord has opened my ear. And you see those words morning by morning? That tells us that this wasn't just an isolated incident where Jesus woke up, uh, Mark chapter 1, only time in Jesus' life he decided to get up early and have devotions that day, that that was a regular part of his, of his day. But it tells us two times in this passage that he listened. It says that he wakens my ear, and it says that he opens my ear. In other words, listen, God has something to say. That it isn't just our speaking to God, that's prayer, okay, but it's God also speaking to us. And that's his desire. His desire is that we would hear his voice um, as he would speak. Now, the other reason that we know 
that Jesus was listening to God during this time that he spent was notice what happened when his disciples found him. Look back at the text again in Mark uh, chapter 1. It says in verse 37 that when they had found him, they said unto him, all men seek for thee. In other words, you got to come back into the village because everyone's looking for you back in Capernaum. Remember what it was like the night before? Now the next morning comes and the whole multitudes, and look at what Jesus says. He said unto them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. Now that doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, revival is breaking out in Capernaum. That's where things are happening. And now there's a chance for the momentum to grow. I mean, hey, this is a good thing that's going on here. But when Jesus spent time with the Father, the Father said, that's it. Move on. It's time to go to the next towns. There's other things to do in other places here. Now, how many times would God, I wonder, if we would take that time to spend with him in the morning, maybe whisper in our ear something that we need to hear for that day that is so very contrary to what we would do if we were to just carry it about in our own plans. That's what we see happening here. See, he has something to say. He knows, the Bible says, the steps that we take. The Bible says he enlarges our steps under us. The Bible says that he leads us, and that's his desire. In fact, part of our prayer what was the Lord's prayer, right? Our Father, which I, what did he say? He said, lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from you. Part of our prayer is, Lord, lead us. But then if we don't take time to listen and say, God, what do you want me to do today? Then how much of that leading do we miss out on? And so a part of it is to just listen uh, to the Lord in, in, uh, in, in the thing. I believe that that starts with the word of God. For me, it does. I know that for a fact. Um, what I've been doing with you on these Saturday mornings, and I don't know if you've picked up on the pattern of it, and I, don't, I guess I don't always or won't always do, do things this way, but as we've been looking at these passages, what I've done each week for you, uh, at least the past few, is we've read a passage of Scripture, and then we've gone back and we've just explained it, just looked at, looked at it again and, and developed the little things, Capernaum, a synagogue, the Sabbath day. We did it today. You know, uh, then to Peter's house. This is where Peter's house was. They went in there. They had lunch. There's no application to any of that. I'm just, I'm just developing the text for you, bringing out details. The Sabbath day, that's why they came at evening. You wouldn't move during the Sabbath. All that's just explaining. Then, then you go back and you say, now what does this mean for us? Where's the, where's the application? Well, how does this overlay on my life and mean something to me and to my existence today. See, that's what every one of us is called to do with God and the Bible by ourselves every day. And I'm telling you, listen, when it says, remember in Isaiah where we just read that it says that he awakens my ear, and then it said that he opens my ear? That's where it happens, right there, okay? You take a passage of scripture, and you go through it, and you just read it, and you just begin to uncover what it's saying. Just what does this passage say? Okay, Capernaum, where was that? And you just start to go through the, you know what happens when you do that? Your ear is opened because God begins to show you things. Why did they come at evening? Oh, because it was the Sabbath day. And you start, oh, okay, no application. You're just seeing a text. Your ear's being opened. And then you say, okay, God, what does this have to do with my life today? And that's the part where you listen. You should begin to listen. And God begins to show you where that passage of scripture relates to your life right now today. And God begins to give you instruction for your day. That's where it begins. 
But as you're listening, God so often takes it so much further than that. He begins to give you, and I use this word um, carefully, visions. And when I say visions, I'm not talking about like angels and, you know, like crazy things. He just, that's the way he speaks. I, I don't know about you, I've never heard an audible voice. God's never been like, hey, Nick, here's what I want you to do today. But what he does do oftentimes is he connects thoughts and pictures in my mind. And then somehow he relates those to things in the day. And there's, there's an interaction, there's a fellowship that transcends just human interaction. And that's what he desires. And so there's a listening part as we meditate upon what he says, as we seek him and say, God, I'm open. I want to hear your voice. He begins to communicate uh, with us. And so uh, this is important to God. We, we get that. Uh, it happened in the morning. It involved prayer and it involved listening. And the result of it, we see, was a very effective day. Now, as we close here, I understand that this is one of those topics that kind of makes you go, yeah, I know. (laughs) I'm supposed to have a devotional life. And this is one of those things that pastors say uh, and that we're used to hearing and that this is nothing new, encouraging us that we're supposed to have uh, a devotional life. And, or, or yeah, yeah, I'm around a pastor. I'm probably going to be asked, how's my devotional life? Or have I been reading my Bible and all the other thing and all? I also realize that this is one of the probably weakest areas in the life of most Christians. That if I were to ask you, you know, today, what are probably some of your greatest weaknesses and things relating to God, you would say, I wish my prayer life was better, or I wish my devotional life uh, was stronger. And I recognize that that uh, is, is real, that that's a real thing, you know. I, I do um, a fair amount of counseling, and it's actually one of the things that I enjoy. Um, they're, they're actually, sometimes I enjoy it. There's two types of counseling sessions. One of them I call, um, I'll call it a, a hot session, and the other one I'll call it a cold session. Um, and a hot session is when someone's issues are, are so uh, severe, and, and they're, they, you know, there's, hot, there's heat, and so when they come in, they'll come in, and just for like a half an hour, they're just trying to bring you up to speed. Okay, I like those. Those are good ones because it gives you a half an hour to really listen and to really like just kind of like have your antenna up and your receiver out and you're listening. And, and as the people are speaking, God is, you know, there's just something there where you know what to say. By the time they're done, there's something to work with. The cold counseling is when people come in and they don't even know what their problem is and they want you to tell them their problem and they want you to solve it. Those are hard. I don't like those, you know, because they just come in and sit and they're like, Talk to me. <laughs> um, you need Daniel. He can tell you the dream and interpret it. I, I can do the Joseph. You tell me the dream, I'll interpret it. I can't do the Daniel, you know, the whole thing. But usually when someone comes in for counseling, there's six fires that are going on in their life that, that, they don't, that are out of control and they don't, they don't know, know how to fix. And oftentimes, uh, one of the things that will come up uh, in the course of our, our dialogue or in my comments to them is, How's you, how is your devotional life in some form or another? Are you reading your Bible? Or, you know, what, well, tell me what that's like. Or what do you read, you know, these days? And almost inevitably, and in fact, I almost just know it, they're going to say, well, I, I'm not, or I was until all this happened, you know, or something like that, you know. But, but really, most times, nine times, probably ten times out of ten, there's almost no fellowship with God that's going on outside of the fact that they come to church uh, once or twice a week. And oftentimes, uh, usually it's not even that. There's almost no devotional life at all. 
And the deeper problem in that situation is that even if we come up with something that will put out all six of those fires, it's only going to be a couple of days before there's six brand new ones that are going on in their life. Because we haven't been called to live this life independent of God. And we can't live this life independent of God. And the reason why we experience a lot of the trouble that we experience is because we're neglecting the time that we're called to spend with God, both in prayer and in listening to what it is that he has to say within our lives. And so as difficult as it is, and as much as it makes us roll our eyes as we consider how weak we are in that area, it really is, make, does make all the difference in our lives between what is and what could be if we just spent time with him. I also know this is that as much as it makes a person roll their eyes when you ask them how their devotional life is or how their time is with the Lord, I know this, is that when they finally get around to it, and it's a process because it takes the work of the Spirit of God to draw a person to that place where they're not doing it out of duty but out of desire. But that when a person does that, that time that they spend with God is going to become the sweetest part of their day and the sweetest part of their life and the thing that they wouldn't give up or trade. But it takes an experiencing of that fellowship with God in order to bring that forth um, within the life. And so this morning, I'm just another voice added to that pile of voices, including the ones that are probably in your own conscience, saying, how's your devotional life? (laughs) Are you spending time with the Lord and thus reaping the benefits of that? But I can say this, that if you want to have the kind of day that Jesus had, And if you want to have the kind of days that Jesus had and the kind of life that Jesus exemplified upon this earth, he arose a great while before the day and he departed by himself into a solitary place and there he prayed. And as we do the same thing, we'll experience the same results. That at the end of that day, we lay our head on the pillow and we say, I can't believe I saw today the things accomplished that I saw. And there's a sense of satisfaction and a sense of delight when you live that kind of life. Amen. Go ahead. It kind of makes you want to get up and do it again. When you have that that kind of day. (laughs) And and it kind of steamrolls. Yes. Sunday will just be all brought together. Yes. 